philosophers have long argued that education is essential for not just an individual's development, but also the development and maintenance of a well-ordered society, especially a democratic one. Over six interviews, we'll be touching on this subject by talking with the six candidates for the Douglas County School Board. Up first is G.R. Gordon Ross, who is one of two candidates running for re-election. I'm your host, David Tomez, and Lawrence Stocks is brought to you in part thanks to our partners at the University of Kansas and Douglas County CASA. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and online at lawrencetalks.org. Thank you for listening and enjoy. GR, thank you for joining me here today. It's my pleasure. And so to get us started, so you've been on the board for the last four years, but just in case there are folks that may be coming to this election for the first time or coming to a Lawrence election for the first time, can you start by telling us a little bit about who you are? So I came to Lawrence in 1996. Uh, I grew up in a small town in Missouri called Kearney, Missouri. It's about an hour from here. It's a little north of Liberty, Missouri. A lot of people know where Liberty is, but hardly anybody's ever heard of Kearney. Uh, Our claim to fame is it was Jesse James's hometown. Um, So I'm a Midwest guy, um, but came out here to go to pharmacy school at KU. Um, Did that and then have kind of bounced around a a little bit career-wise, started as a hospital pharmacist at Olathe Medical Center, and then ended up working for Cerner, doing software um, development for them. And then currently I work for a hospital in Billings, Montana, uh, but I work remote from my basement. I've been doing that since 2012. And so work in healthcare, have a healthcare background, uh, but uh, kind of blend that and technology. Um, my wife and I uh, actually met when I did a little stint at the University of Missouri before I realized that was not where I wanted to be. She unfortunately finished and graduated, even though I make fun of her degree all the time. Um, but uh, we ended up getting married in 1998. Uh, we have five children, uh, the oldest of which is 21, the youngest is 13. So I have three Lawrence High graduates and then a current Lawrence High sophomore and a Billy Mills eighth grader. So my oldest is at Emporia State. My second oldest is working full-time at Munchers. Uh, my middle child, Sam, who just graduated this last May, is getting ready to go serve a two-year mission for our church. He's going to go, he's going to end up, uh, we just found out this last week, he's going to go to Roseville, California. This is the area he's going to serve in. Um, and then my sophomore is a soccer player and will probably run long distance for track in the spring. And my youngest daughter plays volleyball. Um, so, and then we're, we're very active in the community. Um, we're an active scouting family, BSA. Uh, we help um, harvesters about once a month and do some other things here, here and there. I then asked GR whether he thought having kids in the school system added any perspective to his job as a school board member. Um, I think it's really important. When I started four years ago, I had I had kids at all three levels. I had I had high schoolers, middle schoolers, and 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 my youngest was still in elementary school. And so I think it's important to to be able to have that personal perspective and also to be able to have that personal connection to not only them that they can come home and, and talk about their life and talk about their day, but also the personal connection to the staff. Um, cause we'll, we'll go and we'll visit buildings as a, as a board. We'll, we'll go to have breakfast or we'll go and have lunch and kind of hear about what's happening in that particular building and meet the staff. 
Um, but it's it's a very not to be disparaging or, or not to make it sound bad, but it's it, it's a very scripted interaction. And and over the years with five different children, um, you know, you get an exposure to a lot of different staff who, who have gotten to know us, gotten to know our family, gotten to know me. And I think having kids come through the system, you then get to see a broad range of issues, both positive and negative. And, and the impact of your decisions, I think, is is more um is 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 quicker to realize because you you hear about it faster next gr speaks about the sort of issues that motivated his run for school board so when i was in middle school in Kearney, missouri my mom ran for school board she uh she had talked to some people and and decided it was something she wanted to do and ended up being the first woman ever elected to the Kearney school board and she served for i think five years um, on the, on the Carney school board. And, and at that time, um, I thought, I thought it was pretty, I thought it was pretty neat. I thought it was pretty cool to have a parent on those on the school board, but it, it, it was something that even then I'm like, you know, I want to do that someday. I thought, I thought that that was pretty neat. Um, and so it was kind of a, a back of my mind bucket list kind of thing. And then over the years, it's, it's kind of solidified to be kind of moved beyond that because I was a product of public education um, and have been successful. All of my kids have been a product of this specific public education system and have gone on to be very successful. And so this particular system, USD 497, um, has has been good to us. It's, it's, it's given my kids a lot of opportunities. It's given them a lot of experiences. And I think it's important to, to acknowledge that and to acknowledge my desire to serve and to give back to, to the community that has given my family a, a lot. And so what, what keeps me going is that for four years, um, there's a lot of things that, that we've done. There's a lot of things that we've started. Um, and there's a lot of things left unfinished. Um, we we're, we're in the, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. We're just now trying to figure out how to come out of a budget crisis um, that's going to take multiple years to solve. And I think um, having the experience of the last four years and having the drive to try to figure out how to solve some of those problems that we've already started, I think is what keeps me wanting to do this for four more years because we want to finish what we've started. As one of the incumbents running for re-election, I asked GR to address any misconceptions people may have about the job. I think probably the biggest misconception is around school finance. The amount of money that the district gets from the state of Kansas is a finite amount of money. And there is very little, if anything, that we as a district can do to increase that amount of money. The only thing that we can do to increase that amount of money is to increase enrollment. That is our only option. So when we talk about um, finding ways to uh, come out of our budget crisis and increasing our strategic reserves and finding ways to pay our certified and classified staff more money. All of that money has to come from the same pool of money that we have today, which means if, if we find money, we're taking it from somewhere else. We're not just, we can't invent revenue streams. So we can't raise taxes. We can't, um, you know, if, if, if we owned a business, we can't raise our prices to, to make more money. We can't adjust 
you know, things like that. It's just, we, we have to look at the revenue that we have and find creative solutions to find more money that just hasn't been there before. And so I think sometimes we get into this, um, this, these conversations of, well, you know, raise taxes or, you know, find more money, ask the state for more money or do things like that. And we we are very limited in the options that we have. And so when people ask us, why is it going to take multiple years to figure this out? It's because it's going to take us that long to determine how we're going to get the money and then slowly implement it. So it's not such a big shock when we start to make some of the changes that we know we're going to have to make to come up with the money to do the things that the public is asking us to do. As some of our listeners may know, this podcast is primarily about getting at the foundations of a person's beliefs and a person's way of doing things. And towards that end, I asked GR to speak a little bit about what he believes to be the proper goal of education. I think the role of education is to prepare students for life after high school, whatever that life is for them. So I think for years, we got into this rut of life after high school was going to college. And I think we're slowly expanding that to be um, being better at, at finding out from students, what do you want to do after high school? Is it go to college? Is it go to the military? Is it go straight to work in a trade? Is it, is it any of those things or is it, is it something else that we haven't even thought of? And then how can we help best prepare you to do that? And so we, as an organization and as a body, have started to slowly give them those opportunities with you know, your, your standard core curriculum and AP classes and things like that for those people that are college-bound. We have the College and Career Center and, and Tech Ed and, and things like that for, for that they can learn um, the the practical skills of you know we have automotive we have welding we have the, those practical skills within the two high schools there are actually sub curriculum tracks related to medicine or engineering or 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 other things based on kids who really know what they want to specialize in so they can really start to focus on some of those um, specialized classes. Um, to see if that's really what they want to do and, and, and what they want to like and, and if they like them. So I think it really comes down to education is preparing each individual student for their future, not what we think their future should be, but what they want their future to be and helping them achieve it to the best of our ability. For this next question, I invited GR to think about the role that a member of the board might have that extends beyond the formal descriptions or responsibilities that are often associated with the role? It's a really good question. You know, to, to answer the, the easy part first, you know, on paper, there's three or four things really that, that come down to it. It's hire, evaluate, and in some cases, fire the superintendent. It's manage the budget and it's set policy. Those are probably your three biggest ones. And then the, the, the fourth one is handle disciplinary matters that make it all the way to the board that have gone through the process and have to be dealt with at our level. Those are the big ones. 
And that's what it is on paper. Practically speaking, a lot of the time it's setting policy and then it's making decisions that then keep us moving in accordance with the policy that we've done without doing any harm or damage to the board. And that how that is done, I will say over the four years, um, tends to tends to change and, and tends to adjust. So currently, right now, one of my biggest overriding factors in any decision that I make is will be two competing interests. It will be, does this decision in any way, shape, or form harm our ability to handle the education of our students? And does it impact our goal of financial sustainability in the future? Those are probably the two biggest things that I look at. And I don't say that, and I don't exclude does it impact staff because I don't care about staff. Because that's the third one as well, is how does this impact our staff? Does it add undue burden on our staff? Does it does it give them more responsibilities without excess compensation? So those are probably the three that that are always at odds with each other because you can you can make a decision that's in the best interest of students, but it costs a lot of money because we have to hire more people. Or if we don't hire the people, it's because we're asking our already overburdened, underpaid staff to do more work without extra compensation so we can do this thing that's in the best interest of students. So it's always this 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 competing priority list of which one wins at any, at any given time. And it's, and it's at different points, one of those always wins. And so it's hard to say at any given moment, which one wins, but those are probably the three biggest that are always at play. One thing that I, I found interesting when looking a little bit over the five-year plan that the school board has is this attention to staff and student well-being. And in, again, in, in my line of work, well-being can be this very abstract and theoretical kind of thing to think about. But with, with your job and the job of, of politicians any, at any level, there has to be some sort of definitive or concrete way of looking at well-being or thinking about well-being. So what is what does well-being look like in the, in the context of uh, the students and, and staff. Oh, that's a really good question. No, that's that's a that's a fantastic question. I don't I don't know that I have a really good answer for you. To be perfectly honest, I think it's I think it's an ever changing, ever evolving set of criteria and questions that we have to ask. You know, part of my part of my day job is you know I work in healthcare and, and with health systems, so I'm a data guy. And so I look at data all the time. And so um, any any time we're presented with at the board with a, a report that has data in it, that that's what I like to look at. I like to look at whatever piece of data we're measuring. I like to look at what's the data that you're showing me and what was it historically and based on the particular data set, is it going, is it moving in the right direction? So are we looking at graduation rates? Are we looking at discipline? Are we looking at, at at anything? Is it going in the right direction? And if it is, what are we doing? And if it's not, what are we not doing? And so in terms of well-being, 
that one's kind of a nebulous thing to answer because there's really not, you know, I I can measure graduation rate. That's really easy because that's just math. But well-being is a lot harder to measure because one person's well-being is very different from another person's. And so there's been a couple things that we've that we've tried to that we're trying to work on at the high school level, at least for students that we're slowly going to expand, you know, for instance, at the high school level, we're trying to make sure that every student can identify at least one trusted adult that if they have an issue or if they have a problem that they can go to. And if they don't have one, then we try to help them find one and identify one. And at the same time, the very first time that we did that survey, all of the teachers that turned up significantly higher than every other teacher, we sat down with them to talk to them to find out what they were doing to build those relationships already. Like why were their names showing up all the time? What what were they doing and how can we take that into something that we can teach other adults on how to interact and how to engage with students in a in a way to to build a more of a community among our students and our staff. Well-being of staff is probably the, the same for us as it is for any business, anything that we can do from a board and an administration to show that we're listening, that we're we're doing everything we can to to listen and to hear their concerns. Even if we can't address every concern that we have, we have to do a good job of acknowledging that it is a concern, acknowledging that that's a real concern, and and what we can do to uh, to address even part of it, and if we can't address it, why we can't address it, but not just not saying anything or ignoring that that it that it exists. I think part of part of anyone's well being as an employee is a belief that those people called to to supervise or you know higher ups listen to you and respect you and you know understand what you're going through, I think is a big part of that. This next question is is kind of about the community here. You've lived in Lawrence for a good number of years. I, I take it to be part of the job of any candidate or any city city politician is to connect their decisions uh, to the values of the community in some way. With that being said, what do you take to be the, the particular values of the Lawrence community regarding education that um, are values that you try to keep in mind when making when making your decisions? I think Lawrence values education above a lot of other things. I think KU plays a part in, in that and in, in influencing that. But one of the things that that I've always valued about our school system and and it was which I think is really interesting, especially as I've done this for a long time and I've had kids involved and have traveled to other school systems and, and things. I have always been really impressed by the fact that our school district excels academically. It excels in fine arts and it excels um, athletically. It excels in all three areas. One does not dominate the other two you can uh, you can go into any high either of the two high schools and you can find national merit finalists you can find um fine arts people that compete and win in state competition and and go on to, to college and compete that way 
and you can find athletes that do the same thing. And so it is such a broad base of which anyone can find an opportunity that, um, that I think is out, outside of just valuing education, it's valuing the opportunities that we provide any one student to pursue not only their dreams, but what their ta- where their talents take them. Because we have the ability to provide in all three of those areas, wherever their talents take them, we have an ability to match those talents with a track that can help them succeed. This next question is kind of about your or the interactions or the dynamic of being on a board itself. Being on a, on a board means uh, having to work with others uh, and make and coming up with a decision. How do you approach that dynamic? And then uh, the second question after that would be, what's the best sort of argument you could give to one of your board members for a particular initiative that you have? Uh, to convince them that they should that the board should go in that direction. So first, what's your general approach to that dynamic, and then we can get into the second question. You know, I uh, it, my my answer. You're probably going to laugh at both answers to the question because they they one plays right into the other, and it's not going to be what you're expecting. But I'm going to be honest, which is which is what I what I have to be because I have to be myself. So. Um, I, I have a really bad habit. My wife reminds me of this all the time, especially right now in this current in, environment of, you know, running, running for reelection and things. I don't talk a whole lot, uh, during board meetings. Um, cause I'm a listener. I listen and I absorb and, and I process and, and I tend to process, um, silently. Um, and I'm not someone who's ever been, I simply cannot force myself to talk just to hear myself talk. So if during the course of a presentation or something, if I have a question and one of my other board colleagues asks a question and my question ends up getting answered, I'm then not going to ask it again just so that I could be on the record of speaking because I, I don't want to waste anybody's time and I don't want to, I don't want to do that. So I tend to, I tend to process a lot silently. So I don't talk a, I talk a whole, whole lot. I interact with my board colleagues quite a, a lot in individually, one-on-one. I have great relationships with all six of them and with members who are no longer on the board. Um, some of those board members who aren't on the board, I still talk to today. I'm still friends with um, some of the board members that are on the board Today, I will anticipate that I will remain friends with for years to come um, because we work that close together. And so we have really great friendships. And so even when we disagree, we can do so in a respectful manner. And so I view and approach that dynamic by listening and learning, hearing what other people have to say and processing and coming to and coming to a, a decision. I don't like to come to the board table with a decision already made. Um, I like to listen and process and hear, ask any questions that I may have. To your second question, in an honest approach to that question, how I would convince a board colleague that we needed to go in a specific direction is in a board meeting, I would say so. And because I never speak 
me speaking carries a lot of weight, not with everybody, but with certain board colleagues, the fact that I'm willing to actually say something and convince them to go in a direction is enough to get their attention. It sounds weird and it sounds conceited and it's not either of those things. It's just, I never speak. So when I do, they tend to listen. Not that I'm some like something special. I just, I just don't talk very often. And so when I need to convince them, that's what I do is I just speak and share my thoughts. And that's how I convince them is I just talk. What, if any, uh, thing can the school board or has a school board uh, discussed about uh, how to develop critical reasoning in their students? Is it a concern? Do you think it should be a concern or are there there other ways that that, uh, this can be achieved? I think it, I think it is a concern because I've certainly seen it. And, and I think we, we have slowly started to address it. There's, there's a concept out there called PBL or project-based learning um, that, that kind of addresses it more because it's, it's less rote memorization and more um, here's, here's a general concept of a project. We're working in a, in a group where you have a rubric that's kind of an outline and then they kind of work through that project, having to make some decisions and some critical thinking skills along the way. And, and, and I think education is slowly starting to swing back that direction. There's some, curriculum out there and and some and some methods of doing that um, we're working on finding ways to implement individual plans of study ips uh, but it, individual plans of study also help that because it individualizes a student's education and so it, it helps them make some critical decisions about what they what they want to look at where they want to go and and also Another way that I think is somewhat more subtle, but I think is is also kind of moving in this direction of kind of getting getting away from where we were, but really realizing the world that we live in is recently we made a shift um, where we took the amount of time that students spend each week minutes wise in English and language arts and we dis- when we diminished it a little bit because we recognized that while they're in science, while they're in social studies, and even while they're in math, they're exercising English and language arts skills while they're in those particular classes. And so we could take some minutes away from English and language arts, and we could apply those principles in science, social studies, and even math to give those core tracks a little bit more time, but we could spread out ELA across all core curriculums because you need those skills everywhere, even to the point that we have some math classes that are assigning essays about certain things and, and, and finding ways to take and, and, and not, not really siloing subjects anymore, but allowing students to see how they're really integrated across and I think seeing some of those connections and some of those integrations can help build some of those pathways that 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 can lead to better critical thinking. As you might know or be aware of that, the city is considering moving to uh, a district based system, at least for 
for elections. Will that have any effect or do you foresee that having an effect on how the school board does its or performs its function? You know, I don't know. It's it's not something we've we've talked about. So I haven't put a lot of thought into it. Um, I can see I can see pros to moving to a district based system. Um, We have Lawrence is a big town and there's a lot of schools spread out all over the place. And we we sometimes get into a situation where certain areas of town or certain schools or certain parts seem to be underrepresented. Um, And so you need to have so you end up with seven board members that represent the entire city. But then you have specific neighborhoods or specific schools who will say, yeah, but there's nobody up there who represents me. And so moving to a district based system, I I don't I don't know that I can say it's good or bad because I haven't done the research, but research. But on the surface, I can say that I don't necessarily think that it would it would be awful. With that, GR, if there's one final question is is just if there's one thing that you would like listeners and potential voters to take away from our conversation today, what would you like that to be? You know, I think the one final thing is, you know, I, I would certainly appreciate their vote in the upcoming election. I think the six people running are all qualified, and I think they would all do a, a good job. Um, I think knowledge and experience are what the district needs. And I think um, I would be remiss if I didn't say that I would appreciate both support for Kelly Jones and myself. I think both of us bring a lot to the table. But I think the other thing that I would say is to to the community is to recognize that as we move forward down this path of trying to solve our budget issue, which is probably the single biggest issue that the district has going forward, is that it will take multiple years and it will take a very long time. And some of those discussions are going to probably be uh, painful and they will be difficult. And I would ask that regardless of who gets elected and what happens is that you have patience and understanding as the district works through probably some conversations that are very difficult that they don't even want to have, but they know they have to have. Great. Well, with that, GR, uh, thank you for joining me on the on the show today, and I uh, wish you good luck in this uh, this coming up election. Thank you, sir. It was my pleasure to be here.